Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, we'll speak with Andrew Balfour, Artistic Director of Camerata Nova, to learn about its current season and about its shows this weekend at the Park Theatre called The Prairie Songbook. Then, we'll hear from the winner of the $10,000 Fast Pitch, 2019 Grand Prize Ken Opalecki. His three-minute Fast Pitch garnered West Broadway Youth Outreach the first place prize, and we spoke with Ken just minutes after his big win. We'll also speak with Benetta Benson, Executive Director of Ohay's Autism Programs, to learn about its summer programming and about its upcoming Bud Spud fundraiser on March 16th. And this week, our Winnipeg impact maker is Tam Nguyen. He'll share his story of coming to Canada as a refugee, the support he received, and how he is now paying it forward. And finally, we'll also learn about another of the Winnipeg Foundation's reconciliation grants. We'll speak with Lorraine mckenzie Shepherd, Minister at Westworth United Church, to learn more about its upcoming coming series of interfaith dialogues which brings elders together with representatives from various faith communities to discuss truth and reconciliation. We've got all this, some great music, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to RC360. Nolan over here, Robert over there, coming at you from the CJNU studios live in the Richardson Building Concourse, one Lombard place. Come down and say hi. Knock on the glass. Give us a smile and a wave. Robert, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks, Nolan. How are you? Life is good. Uh, last week we had Fast Pitch, which is always a fun kind of an experience mm-hmm. to go to, get nice and inspired. This week uh, we're going to bring you uh, a conversation with Ken Opalecki, the winner of the $10,000 grand prize at Fast Pitch, his three-minute pitch, of course. Got him the championship for 2019. Uh, It was a pretty cool, pretty cool, pretty, um, you know, I got chills multiple times, tingles, you know, that feeling when you see someone and they inspire you and you just think, whew, that's a good person. Definitely. (laughs) And, uh, you know, all the pitches were just outstanding. I mean, it's it's hard to, to put them into placings you yeah, know to the award judges have prizes. a hard, hard hard job for sure but uh you know what everyone did such a, a fantastic job and uh you know it's it's just so great to have this opportunity to learn more about the great work that people are doing in our city that's a little bit later on in the show our first uh conversation today is going to be with andrew balfour he's the community artistic director artistic director at camaretta nova and we're going to to talk about their upcoming uh, show this weekend at the Park Theatre called The Prairie Songbook. Really cool show, and uh, I believe there's still tickets available, so we'll learn all about that after our first musical break. But before we get to that, Robert, what have you got for us today? Well, uh, in keeping of the theme of some of the artists that will uh, be represented at The Prairie Songbook, we're going to hear from the Guess Who Here's These Eyes to start things off on River City 360. Oh, 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 
these eyes Watched you bring my world to an end This heart could not accept and pretend Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I'm now joined via telephone by Andrew Balfour, the Artistic Director of Camerata Nova. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. No problem. Camerata Nova is a vocal ensemble spanning well over 20 years now. Can you tell us about the vision of Camerata Nova and the range of performances over the years? We originally started out as an early music group, early music in terms of late medieval uh, renaissance. Um, but over the, the past 21 years, we've kind of expanded our, our repertoire and time periods in terms of doing a lot of contemporary music. We commission a lot of composers, so we do a lot of premieres uh, with local and internationally renowned composers. And of course, in the last 10 years, we've been doing what we would call Indigenous-based uh, collaborations and concerts. As the founder and artistic director of Camerata Nova, what's one of the most important things you've learned from your time with the group? Well, many things, actually, I think. But mostly, being with the group for 21 years actually has expanded my knowledge and my writing for the human voice. So I'm very lucky as, as a composer to be able to write for this ensemble because I know it, the ensemble so intimately. But also, it is, and ironically, it has helped me personally discover my heritage, my Cree First Nations heritage, which is ironic for an early music group. (laughs) 
but I certainly have uh, felt personally benefited from the uh, working with this group, writing for the group, for, with the group, uh, and also our strength is, is in collaboration. So we work with early music specialists, we work with traditional powwow dancers and singers, and of course I mentioned before about contemporary composers, so I, I really have learned a lot as a composer and a musician, and even as a person, I think. Looking through the performances in Camerata Nova's season, you really get the sense that collaboration is so central to the different shows that Camerata Nova produces. The first show that took place this season back in November was Fallen, the second concert in a series focusing on truth and reconciliation, and the first one was Taken, which premiered back in 2017. Can you tell us about each of these concerts and the links between them? Well, we had several years ago talked about the call to the action that the Truth and Reconciliation Commission had had recommended when it first came out, and we wanted to find a way to do it musically speaking, which is so important in our society. So we had decided we wanted to try to do three concerts that were based on a topic, just usually a one-word prompt. And so our first one, of course, was uh, taken. And we had different Indigenous composers take that word and sort of write something that was uh, either conjured up or visioned. That was our first really big collaborative project with different composers and musicians. We had Jeremy Dutcher, Madeline uh, Karialak, Corey Campbell, Lindsay Knight, equal a hip-hop artist from Saskatoon. So it was a really unique concert for us, but we kind of felt that it was an important statement to do some of sometimes these heavy subjects. I mean, Taken could be used for, you know, Taken Children, part of a residential school's legacy, uh, murdered and missing women, Taken culture, Taken language. So it was very important for us, and, and after that, we realized the significance of these collaborations. And then last November, we did our second of the series, which was called Fallen. And again, we were using a, a word that was prompt for different perspectives. I wrote a piece called Natinikyu, which is a Cree word for going to war, because of course, last November, there was the marking of the 100th uh, anniversary of the armistice that ended World War One, And so Natinikyu basically was a piece that was uh, talked about or uh, about the indigenous soldiers that went and fought in, uh, in World War One, but also all wars. Not many people realize that Indigenous soldiers have fought in every conflict since Canada was a nation, from all the way from the Boer War right up to present-day Afghanistan. So I wanted to bring that to light. And then we worked with a wonderful cellist, Cree Mennonite background, uh, Chris Dirksen from Alberta, who's now living in Toronto and very well known. And that was an exciting collaboration. It was very significant, I think. And the third concert in the series, which will premiere in 2020, is called Captive, and that received support through one of the Winnipeg Foundation's reconciliation grants. Earlier, you mentioned that the title forms the basis of the themes in the show. Can you tell us about what Captive represents? Captive, again, will be a very, very poignant project for us. Probably our most ambitious in terms of the variety, because we're going to be working with a very well-known singer-songwriter, Leonard Sumner, Zoe Roy, another hip-hop artist from Saskatchewan. Chris Dirksen is going to join us again. I came up with the, the idea of captive because I personally wanted to bring to light the plight of Indigenous incarceration, which is such a serious problem in our country in terms of the large amount of Indigenous numbers that are in our penal system. And I'm going to actually, my personal contribution to this project will be about starting with the incarceration of Chief Poundmaker, who, after the Red River Rebellion, was arrested and sentenced for treason, even though that he didn't, his people and his tribe did not take part in that rebellion. 
but he was still tried as a traitor. And he actually was sent to Stony Mountain Penitentiary at the time, was a new prison, and where he got quite sick in there, and they let him out early, but he died several months after his incarceration from disease. So um, it's an incredibly tragic story, but it's also the springboard to the the legacy of Indigenous prisoners in our justice system, which is still a, a, a huge problem in modern-day society. It's going to be a heavy subject as well, but we, we always try to create safe and respectful places for our collaborating artists to be able to do such a, a project. And the other musicians, as I mentioned, will be doing their perspective of the word captive and the meaning to them and uh, the Indigenous peoples of this country. As I said before, it's a very poignant project, and I hope that this is a leading, in, leading into more of these types of collaborations, even though it will be our third one. Um, we will continue to do these uh, collaborative projects with Indigenous uh, musicians and artists. What are you hoping audiences will take away from the performances of Taken, Fallen, and Captive? I think that even people that sort of sympathize or think that they are aware of some of the issues in our society and, and this, this very young country always mentioned to us is like, I never thought of that perspective before, or I didn't know about that, or I didn't know about Poundmaker, I didn't know that Frobisher took Inuit people back to Europe to prove that he was in Asia, because they looked Asian. All these things that people just really didn't know. I think that's important, because that some of our legacy as a, as a country, and a, and a country that we've built, is quite horrific on the backs of Indigenous people. So I think it's important for us to continually be aware of where we've come from, because we don't really know where we're going until we know where we've come from. Up next for this season, this weekend, there are three performances of The Prairie Songbook, Saturday, March 9th at 7 and 10 p.m., and then again Sunday, March 10th at 3 p.m., all taking place at the Park Theatre. Can you tell us a little bit about the show and what people can expect? Well, this is sort of what I would mark up as a a concert or a project that is pure fun, both for our group and hopefully for the audience as well. We sort of have long recognized, I think most people know, that there is such a strong and rich singer-songwriter tradition and legacy in in the prairies. And so we are doing a really exciting concert where we're going to be Mel Braun and Vic Pancras, who are co-conducting this project. We've come up with, I think, 10 new arrangements of of songs by Joni Mitchell, local artist J.P. Ho, uh, of course, uh, the the Waylon Jennies, Neil Young. It's a really very, very exciting project, and I know that it's going to have too many people smiling Uh, It's going to be very exciting. If any of our listeners would like to learn more about this season of Camerata Nova, or if they'd like to purchase tickets to see The Prairie Songbook this weekend or Death by Chocolate in May, where can they go to get more information? You can go online to cameratanova.com and you can order tickets online. We also, of course, have tickets at the door that are are available. You can go to info at camerata.ca for getting tickets uh, from our online but the best way would probably be to go to cameradanova.com and, and order tickets online. Andrew Balfour is the Artistic Director of Camerata Nova. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me about Camerata Nova and its season this year. No problem. I really appreciate the, the opportunity. Thanks, Robert. Coming up next, Fast Pitch 2019 is come and gone, and the showcase took place about a week ago, last Thursday at the Met, and we were in attendance. We were also able to speak with the winner of the $10,000 grand prize, Ken Obelecki, from West 
Broadway Youth Outreach. We've got our conversation with Ken from, it was actually just minutes after uh, he, it was announced that he won the prize. We were talking to him right on stage, so he was a little bit flabbergasted. It's a great conversation, though, so we'll bring that to you right after this. Uh, We've got a little Joni Mitchell with Help Me right here on RC360. Thank you for listening to River City 360. I am talking to the champion of Fast Pitch 2019, Ken Nopalecki from West Broadway Youth Outreach. Ken, how are you feeling after just hearing minutes ago that you were awarded the $10,000 grand prize? Uh, any minute now, one of my daughters is going to slap me and wake me up. I am shocked. I am thrilled. I am thankful beyond measure to the Winnipeg Foundation. And in this envelope, 
who knows? It's hopefully doctor six and doctor number seven. That's every penny of this is going directly to the kids in our community to get them to that next level. You can see the passion in your eyes right now. I mean, you can see how much you care about these kids. There was a whole front, I think the first two rows were, were Opaleki heads cheering and screaming their heads off. I mean, obviously you're doing it for them. How do you feel when you, when you look in that envelope and see the potential? I, I don't know what to tell you. I adore them. It's so hard to hide behind this ogre facade that I do for them. I, I, I just want to be obsolete in their life. I want them to beat me in a game of Crazy Eights. I want them to go beyond me in math. I am thrilled and thankful to their parents, you know, for allowing me to be a part of the most important part of their lives, their children. And the most important thing at our center, our volunteers. I want to go back to our center tomorrow. I want to send a message out to every single volunteer and let them know that because of you, this happened. I'm just some guy who's a professional wet willier who body checks kids in, in snowbanks. But you are the reason West Broadway Youth Outreach is West Broadway Youth Outreach. You've been doing this for 30 years. And you still have the passion and energy of a, of a young man. Not that you're not a young man, but I mean, how do, how do you keep it going? How do you keep this level going? A life not lived in the service of others is a life wasted. That's my grandmother. That is the greatest woman ever to, ever to walk this planet. And when I walk out of my house every day, three hours early for work, I ask myself, am I representing her in a way that would make her proud? It's, it's, I jokingly tell the kids, I've been brainwashed. I discovered it at 16 years old, walking down Monroe and Watt, and some kid running on the field with a hitch, and I jump the fence and say, hey, I run track. And as you know, Jamaicans are fast. So I'm, you know, and I come to realize he was training for Special Olympics, and he just had an impediment. I have not gone three days without working with children since I was 16. At 16, I realized, holy crap, this woman totally brainwashed me. <laughs> so, you know, everything I do is her. Now, I need to live a life that says all her time invested is that. And there are thousands of kids in this city who fuel me. So when you ask why I'm, like right now I'm subdued. Like when my kid called me last week and told me about getting the scholarship to Harvard, I was, have you ever seen a Jamaican river dance? Through his living room, through his kitchen, I was freaking losing my mind. So honestly, it's, they fuel me. They are, I don't even drink coffee. They are, they're what fuels me. That's There's the best I can tell you. No need for coffee when, when you got when that have, much energy. When you have Winnipeg children, there is no need for coffee. Take me back to two months ago when you're starting this whole process. Talk about a little bit of the fear probably, a little anxiety, a little concern about getting up on stage. Just, and then how is that different from how you feel right now? Fear, anxiety, concern. The level was beyond. It's, it's weird. I spoke at We Day, and it was okay. I speak here, and it's like I'm back in grade 10, doing a presentation in front of my class, in front of peers, stressing out of my mind. But leading up, I have to tell you, you know, Team Hadcar, 
It's my two uh, <laughs> coaches, names combined. They, you know, kept telling me, you know, that's going well. That we need to work on. They were so honest and they read my personality, which is, you know, I need no gray. I need A or B. And they were really good about helping me temper my stressful feeling about being in front of people and speaking on a mic. I can deal with 85 kids, behavior-wise, issue-free. And I'm in front of a few adults, and I'm ready to break down. Talk a little bit about the connections that you've made to friends and, and new you know, peers moving forward. Oh, I'll start with peers. Um, and I even hesitate to say that because I just think those others, finalists, the semi-finalists, everyone that was in this, I, I was just in awe. I was in awe of them. And I was emotionally moved at so many of these speeches that were made. And there, that's Winnipeg for you. Like, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful place to live. It's a wonderful place to work a 12, 13-hour day. And it feels like three hours because it's Winnipeg. One of the best things that a youngster can have is a good role model, and you seem to be one of the best I've ever come across. Um, how important is it to, to set a good example and just to be a beacon for, for a lot of these kids who don't maybe have a, a, a path? I, you know what? I've never used that term, role model, but I just want to do my best to be just that, be a light that will have them say, okay, Ken says I'm better than 85. I'm gonna get that other 15 on the next test. That's all I wanna be. I just wanna be a, you know, a buzz in their ear that says, like, your potential is infinite. You know, at the same time I'm body checking you in a snowbank, I wanna tell you, look, you rock. And you gotta see that coming. As my future mayor, you gotta have some, you know, you know, better, uh, you know, spatial awareness. Yeah, spatial awareness and stuff. So, yeah, I'm just like. Well, a lot of people talk the talk. You walk, you run the run. You walk the walk and you run the run. Thank you for everything you do, like I said. Congratulations again. The 2019 Fast Pitch Champion. Congrats. Thank you. Thanks, Nolan. Coming up next, we'll have my conversation with Benetta Benson, Executive Director of O'Hayes Autism Programs. We'll learn about a very cool fundraiser, that's the O'Hayes Buds Bud fundraiser that's happening on March 16th, and we'll also learn more about some of the great summer programming for families and youth who are affected by autism. But first, we'll hear Frank Mills with One Summer Day, right here on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today. And today I'm joined via telephone by Benetta Benson, Executive Director of O'Hay's Autism Programs. Benetta, thank you so much for joining me today. Yes, thank you. Tell us a little bit about O'Hay's Autism Programs and what sets its programming apart from other organizations. Well, O'Hay started in 2002 as a nonprofit and we became a charity so that we would be able to provide a greater opportunity for families and be able to meet some of the financial challenges that families face with a child with disability. So we started out with a summer camp for children aged 6 to 12 and um, as they kind of aged, we, st- we moved into more age 10 and up because it became clear that for 10 and up, it's very difficult, certainly for age 12 and up, they generally don't qualify for daycares in the summertime. So it's a really tremendous opportunity for them to have a camp to go to. And then also we um, have two different camps, one for age 10 to 14, which is uh, focused quite significantly on executive functioning skills, planning for the days. And then our other camp is called Jobs and Sports because we quickly realized, well, a few years ago, I guess it's um, seven or eight years now, we've run Jobs and Sports where we work with community businesses like Sobe, Safeway, uh, Canadian Tire, the libraries, etc., and we have participants working uh, to, in a supported way two hours in the morning for five days a week, and they get, we pay them. So it's quite a good experience for them to have an opportunity for paid employment, and we can focus on those skills for them. Sounds like a great opportunity to build important skills in a supportive environment. And in addition to the summer camps, O'Hayes also offers evening programming during the summer. How does this programming complement the day programs that O'Hayes provides? One of the things that's really challenging for families is the summertime. And uh, school is very structured, and it's also a social opportunity for students with autism. And when that is, um, is gone in the summertime, families you know, have a difficult time focusing on their other children that, that they may want to spend some time and energy with, and also to find meaningful opportunities that are social for their, their youth with autism. So you know, in trying to meet that need a little bit more, not all of them who are a little bit older want to go to a full-time summer camp and so we offer also summer a summer evenings programs one is for six evenings in the summer geared towards two groups one is those who really want to socialize in a group they're more conversational they just don't have friends to connect with and do activities with so we provide that uh, summer evening program and then also for a different group that needs one-to-one support, which is definitely challenging for parents to find programs that are focused on one-to-one needs, but not just, you know, babysitting. It's really trying to focus on prompting social interactions, getting them to, you know, get off the laptop or their phone and, and, uh, you know, interact with other people and be, be physically active as well. So we're trying to cover the needs in the community and not duplicate anything anybody else is doing. And part of how O'Hayes is able to keep these programs going is through its annual fundraiser, which is happening on Saturday, March 16, 2019. Benetta, tell us about the upcoming Budspud fundraiser and how it supports O'Hayes. 
We are so excited about our annual BudsBud fundraiser. We only do one fundraiser ourselves because we prefer to have our volunteer effort going into programming and not into fundraising. So we have parents involved and uh, a tremendous amount of community support for our baskets. We have about 40 baskets that are between $150 and $500 and put on a tremendous display and uh, pack the house at the Canadians uh, Cowboys. So hopefully we can do that. It's been very successful in the past and an opportunity for families or members of the community kind of connect a little bit over a social um, opportunity. So we kind of upscale a little and, and ask people to dress up. It's not super casual and uh, it is the one fundraiser that we do and we love it. So I'm hoping people can come out and support it again next year. So again, the Bud Spud fundraiser is taking place Saturday, March 16th, 2019. If our listeners would like to learn more about O'Hayes and its programming or purchase tickets for the Bud Spud fundraiser on March 16th, where can they find more information? Well, we have a website, www.ohays.org, and a Facebook page, as most organizations do, and we've got an event page, too, for the Bud's Bud fundraiser. Thank you so much to Benetta Benson, Executive Director of O'Hays Autism Programs, for speaking with me today. Thanks, Robert. Up next is our weekly segment Winnipeg Impact Makers. This Winnipeg this week's Winnipeg Impact Maker is Tam Wynn. He's the owner and operator of Tam's Fa and Tam's Taylor right here in Winnipeg and he's been making a point of giving back to his community in a variety of ways. Sonny Permolo joins us next to tell us all about Tam and how he's giving back. But before we get to that, here's 101 Strings with Serenade in Blue right here on RC360.
Welcome back to River City 360. I'm Sonny Promolo. As you all know, Manitoba is home to some of the most giving people in the country. To share those stories, I'm going around the city to speak with impact makers in Winnipeg, and today I'm with Tam Nguyen, who is the owner of Tam's Custom Tailor and the original owner of Tam's Pho here in the West End. Thanks for coming on the show with us. Thank you. The reason why we're here today is uh, you have a lot of initiatives that you've done towards helping our community with Salome Mission and a lot of other nonprofit uh, organizations. Can you tell us a little bit of what you've done so far? I did some with Aradia Laws, Samatu Church, Drop In Center. With the last one we did with the Salome Mission, we did some dinner when the Thanksgiving come in. And we do whatever I can do, I will do because that's where I give back. Like lots of people help me, lots of people support me before when I'm back home, when I'm little kid, when I'm go up. Oh, so now it's time for me to think back and give back. So I tried whatever I can. So why do you think it's so important to give back to the community? Well, I've been in Winnipeg, October 1980 opened my shop in 1986 and I opened my restaurant in 2014. I got lots of help. Lots of people support me. Lots of people help me out and teach me to do the job. So I learned a lot. So I should help it back. When you give some back, you feel more happy. So you're also known as the Tailor to the Stars. Can you explain what got you that nickname? So when the movie come in town, you know, they need right away and I need something really special, and I will do it. So that's why they, they say, hey, you the man, you the guy I, I need it. When I need it, and you're there, when I like to do something special, and you will do it. So that's why I'm kind of the number one for them, I guess. I don't know, but so far I did a lot of movie when they come in town. I did, yeah. That's really awesome. So let's go back a little bit with the giving that uh, you provided. So I know you've provided hundreds of meals to Deer Lodge, Salome Mission, amongst other places. Uh, why did you choose to support those organizations? So I, I want to help because lots of people need it. And whatever I can help, I will do it as much as I can. You were a refugee back in the day in Vietnam, and you came here via Malaysia. Last year, uh, during your anniversary of coming to Canada or becoming a citizen, you used those proceeds for that day towards Salvation Army, uh, which is amazing. And the things that you're doing for the community is great. But another thing that you're doing is helping not just our community, but the one that you come from. So can you tell us a little bit about Vietnam and what that is all about? The charity I started in 1995 for Vietnam called Canadian Helping Kids in Vietnam was well, because I, when I was on a boat, I don't know if I die or I survive or what, so I pray, I say, if I survive, I will help others. I never think I will go back to Vietnam again because Vietnam like gone. But then in 91, my father was very ill, so I went back to visit my parents. I see the Vietnam. Five years after I left, still the same like when I was there, like even worse. So, and I come back and I thinking, so I have a house, I have a shop, I have children. So my life is not successful, but okay. So I say, you know, I start thinking what I promised or what I say I would do. So, and I had a couple of friends 
and I talk the charity. So in '95 we talked the register. I found one lady, she Canadian, she have a Vietnamese adopted child, darling Lindsay, and say, oh, see the one, I can add to help me to start a charity because I don't speak much English, I don't write English, I don't do nothing, I know nothing about paperwork, right? So I asked her and she, she would laugh and I try ask again. She say, why you want to help Vietnam? Everybody don't like Vietnam. I say, yeah, but you know, the kids, they were same when five years after they gone, everything same. So we stuck in 96, I went back and we go and every year we do that. And we did very well. We built nice school, one orphanage, and every year we feed and we send kids to school. Stock from one to go up to 100, 200, no, 250. And we did dental medicine. We did doctor go and still go last, just last month in um, February, Chow Farm, the doctor, she take the whole group there, about 10 doctors to Vietnam to work. It's what I've been juggle over my life when I'm little children, Vietnam War and your life like no food, no school, no clothes and everything. So when I go up everything so lucky me I have everything go nice smooth. I I have a chance to get out of Vietnam, I have a chance to go up with no Cuban Junior War and no hurt. So everything I look back I say I'm so lucky. So I I said, better now my turn to do something to help. You actually have a book out that goes towards the proceeds of helping uh, children in Vietnam. Can you tell us where to find A Lucky Man, the story of Tam the Tailor, and what made you inspired to do this? Well, I've been thinking many times. I say, well, my story, I should have left behind for my kid, food, I'm thinking for my children and my family. But then after I say, we we done it and say why not write a book? So I couldn't write. I don't, I don't write. I don't read. But and I have I found two ladies. They helped me out. Say no, you tell me what the story and I wrote it for you. And one lady do editing. Yeah, and we come with the name Lucky Man because I'm so lucky. I everything I do so, you know, nice smooth. So the book come out last year, but we have at my tailor shop and now Robinson in a shopping grand shopping center and a chapter on San Vitale. So that all the proceeds go to help the orphanage in Vietnam. All the proceeds of the book go towards children in Vietnam. So make sure you pick up a copy and visit McNally Robinson on Grand and chapters on San Vitale. And of course the tailor shop here on Ellis. I know you're mentioning something earlier about wanting to start workshops for newcomers to the city. Can you talk about that and what your goals are? My skill at Taylor, so I really like to do uh, a workshop to teach somebody sewing like a tailor. I like to do that, but I still plan for a couple of years now. I'm still not getting there yet because I'm still afraid if I rent a play and what I do with it, how much time I can be there because I still work on my shop. Because tailor is dying in Canada. Oh, wow, Winnipeg, like right now, look for a good tailor to make suit, to make something. There is nothing, only some tailor, but most of the same trade. Because all tailor make suit from other countries, they all retire. So I like to teach, but I hope if somebody want to help, come up 
plan with me, I will do it. But I like to do like, not just at school, sit down, tell them, okay, you do this, do that. But I want to do like the workshop. Like you do a real, like when I was learning tailor, I go to a tailor shop, I stay there. Every day I learn, I work right there. No, no writing in a book or no reading, nothing. Just do the work, do what you, you learn and you remember in your head and that's how. Yeah, so that's what I like to do. The future, I don't know when, but soon. I hope it's soon. It's absolutely great that you're trying to build skills amongst the community, especially the newcomer community that is looking for work when they're coming here or just looking to gain new skills coming to a new country. But again, thank you, Tam, for uh, speaking with us today. Is there anything that you would like to add before we let you go? Well, thank you for you to come and let me share my story. And I wish anybody to help out a little bit, whatever you can. And we make this better life for others and make them all happy. What, you know, like you can do them all, but whatever you can. Everyone do a little bit. And we share together. We live together and be happy. Like Winnipeg County, I, said, I love because I came here with nothing. And now I'm, I do it fine, so I, I need to help. I need my mother to be able to help too. Thanks to Tam and his staff for sharing their story of giving. If you or anyone you know is making an impact in our city, reach out and call 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. We'd love to hear about it. This is Sunny Promolo for River City 360. Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I'm now joined via telephone by Reverend Lorraine McKenzie Shepherd, Minister at Westworth United Church. Lorraine, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. We're here to talk about the interfaith dialogues that Westworth United Church will be hosting for four Mondays starting March 11th, and that focus on truth and reconciliation. Tell us a little bit more about the sessions and who is involved. For the past uh, five years, we've had an interfaith dialogue uh, between Christianity and one particular faith tradition that is not Christianity. And this year we decided to bring all of those together so that we can, from various faith traditions, respond to the truth and reconciliation calls to action. And so we are hosting four sessions at four different faith communities, and the speakers at each of those faith communities will be from a different faith community. So, for example, our first session will be Monday, March 11th. From Every, every session is Monday evening from 7 to 9 p.m., and that first session will be at Congregation Etzhaim, so that's a Jewish uh, synagogue. And the speaker will be Shahina Siddiqui, who is the Executive Director of Islamic Social Services Association. The response to Shahina will be by Elder Theodore Fontaine. That sets the format for each of the sessions. There will be a speaker, and then in response to the speaker, we have an Indigenous elder. And every session, it's a different speaker and a different Indigenous elder. So the second session is at Manitoba Buddhist Temple. The speaker is Steve Heinrichs, who is the Director of Indigenous Settler Relations at the Mennonite Church of Canada. And Cree elder Stan McKay will be the responder. Uh, the third session will be at the Winnipeg Central Mosque. Brian McLeod, who is a Buddhist Lama, will be speaking. And the responder will be Adrian Jacobs, who is a Cayuga elder. And then the last session will be at our church, Westworth the United Church. The speaker is Ruth Ashrafi. She is the Judaic Studies Advisor at Gray Academy of Jewish Education. And the responder will be Chickadee Richard, who is an Anishinaabe elder. 
And that'll be for the first hour. And the second hour, we'll move into small groups with trained facilitators from each of these various communities. And I'm thrilled with the diversity we have of the facilitators. Why was it important to ensure a variety of faith traditions and elders with diverse backgrounds would be involved in the sessions? Well, we wanted to honor the various faith traditions that we've been studying over the last five years. The first year, we had Cree elder and Reverend, very Reverend Dr. Stan McKay be our speaker for the whole session. The next year we studied Islam and Christianity. The following year Judaism and Christianity. And last year Buddhism and Christianity. So our um, congregation has sponsored these interfaith dialogues each year with each of these four traditions. And instead of going to get one more, we thought, let's take a pause and bring them all together. uh, All the ones that we have been in dialogue with to date. um, And to encourage each of them to to see how they can respond to those calls, calls to action from their own particular faith traditions. So what tools within each of their faith traditions might best enable them to respond to the action? Um, and perhaps uh, tools that we can each draw on from even within our uh, respective traditions so that we can strengthen our own responses. And, and I should also add, the reason we have a different elder responding to to each session is that we also want to honor the diversity of, of First Nations because they each have their own teachings, uh, languages, and are quite distinct. So we wanted to uh, to honor that that diversity. How do you see the role of faith-based organizations in truth and reconciliation? I see that as a as, as a very important role because it has been named from the beginning as as an important factor to consider. Our own tradition, the, the United Church of Canada, has it, and, and its predecessors, as well as our church itself, were one of the one of the churches that ran the residential schools. Uh, and so we personally have uh, much work to do in acknowledging some of the harm that that we caused, and uh, have a responsibility to listen well, work well with the traditional elders and um, Indigenous teachers to make reparations where where possible and work towards reconciliation. So that's our personal responsibility to do that. Other faith traditions that weren't involved in it still are living in Canada where we're all treaty people. And so there is a responsibility for everyone here to contribute to that process of reconciliation, regardless of our history and our past. What are you hoping people attending will learn or take away from the sessions? I hope that we will draw on the teachings of other traditions that might better enable all of us to respond to the TRC. I'm hoping that we can move past some of the negative reactions to the residential schools, for instance, and and some of the the other uh, harms that settler societies have caused in a way that takes us past guilt or denial. Uh, Those are two common reactions, and neither of which are very helpful, but can move us towards some positive steps forward. And there are so many positive things that are happening right now with this process of reconciliation. So we want to find ways that we can move people forward and not into paralysis. At each of these sessions, you don't have to be a member of a particular congregation to attend. Is it open to the general public? Yes, anyone who wants to come can come. People come from various faith communities or no faith community to these sessions. We've been really surprised at the diversity of people who walk through the doors. Uh, so somehow the word's getting out, and uh, it seems to be of interest to to a wide uh, segment of the population, but certainly anyone who is interested in exploring these topics 
respectfully, I might add, um, we, uh, we, we strongly welcome them. We, we've had a few incidents at previous sessions where uh, some people have come to prove a point, uh, and that we, we discourage that uh, motivation for people coming. And for that reason, we have been really careful on our training of facilitators. So in, during the small groups, uh, the facilitators will be able to guide a group um, and around maybe some, we want difficult conversations to come up, difficult questions are fine, but we are not uh, encouraging any kind of confrontation. And so we have trained facilitators to allow these sessions to be safe spaces for everyone. Since having put this facilitation process in place, uh, it seems to have been very successful in that. We haven't had any difficulties um, uh, since doing that. So I guess I would want to say that that we are working very hard for this to be uh, uh, very safe and respectful for, for everyone who comes. If any of our listeners would like to learn more about the Interfaith Dialogues, where can they go to get more information? There is a poster on Westworth United Church's website, uh, so it, you can look that up there. I would be more than welcome to speak with anyone if they have questions. And my phone number and my office is 204-489-6974, extension 22. And I might add one thing, and that is we are grateful to Winnipeg Foundation for providing um, a grant that will help us with the honoraria for the speakers that recognizes the importance of this dialogue. The Interfaith Dialogues on Truth and Reconciliation take place Monday evening, starting March 11th through to April 1st from 7 to 9 p.m. at various locations, and you can learn more about each session by visiting westworth.ca. I've been speaking with Lorraine Mackenzie Shepherd, minister at Westworth United Church. Lorraine, thank you again so much for speaking with me today. Thank you, Robert. That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking to us as well. If you'd like to hear more River City 360, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to the podcast, you can do so at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback about the show as well. If you'd like to request a song, suggest a topic for a future show, or just say hello, give us a call on our listener line. It's open 24-7. The number to call is 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. If you'd like to get in contact with us through the internet, you can do so on Twitter by searching at WPGFDN or searching the Winnipeg Foundation on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell, signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend. Mm-hmm.